guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone has had a lovely week so far. Today, we are going to talk about the United States Postal Service and the conspiracy theories that are surrounding it and Trump and mail-in voting. And we will also talk again about the craziness that's going on in America's biggest cities and the worldview behind that. We'll talk a little bit more about the election. There's so much that I want to talk about today, but I only have a finite amount of time and I'm only going to be able to get to these big topics. If you guys are like, oh my gosh, I am just maxed out on politics and the election and all of that craziness right now, then you are in luck because on Friday we are going to take a break from that. You will enjoy uh, the refreshing and Christ-centered conversation that I am going to have with Sean Copeland. And so if you are looking for an outlet, a way to kind of exit this chaos, this uh, political craziness that's going on right now, then you will thoroughly enjoy Friday's episode. I'm super excited about it. But today we have to delve into the chaos. We have to delve into the craziness. And if you are watching this on YouTube, you will notice that I am looking down at my phone to look at my notes because I forgot my computer. I typically have all my notes on my computer, but today I forgot. And so I have to hold my phone to be able to uh, follow along on the things that I want to talk about. A lot of times I don't even look at my notes. Some episodes I've just got like a few bullet points and I can just kind of riff and rant. But today I have so many details and the things that I am going to talk about that I want to make sure that I get exactly correct, that I actually have to follow along on my notes the whole time. So I am going to be looking down at my phone from far away like a baby boomer. And uh, that's just how I'm going to have to do this episode. So if you are watching on YouTube, that is what is going to happen. So as a reminder, you know this if you listen to my episode on Monday, but every Monday until the election, there are only 11 Mondays left. By the way, I am going to be tackling one election-related issue, and I'm going to be breaking it down, talking about why this issue is important, why we should care about it, and then contrast the two tickets, Trump versus Biden. On Monday, we covered abortion very thoroughly, but there are things that I didn't even get to in that episode that I could talk about more, but we covered abortion and the two tickets positions on abortion, I think, as thoroughly as we could in the amount of time that we had on Monday. We will be talking about religious liberty at the end of that episode. I will have an interview with Dr. John MacArthur, the pastor in California that has been pushing back on the draconian regulations uh, that have disproportionately affected churches in California. And so you can look forward to that. We'll be talking about school choice. We'll be talking about justice issues. We will be talking um, about a variety of issues that affect you and me. And that affects the most vulnerable uh, in our society. And we'll talk about why we should care about them. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today uh, after we get into all of this insanity surrounding the United States Postal Service. Um, And I also, if we have time, I want to talk a little bit about the DNC that's going on right now and just some of the funny things that have gone on. Okay, let's talk about the U.S. Postal Service now. 
any of you who have liberal friends or family members who have been posting about this on Facebook, you have probably seen them go into a tailspin saying that Trump is trying to steal the election by undermining uh, undermining the U.S. Postal Service because he doesn't want mail-in voting because he's afraid that he is going to lose if more people vote. So they're claiming that he's trying to disenfranchise people. This is what an autocrat does. This is totalitarian dictator behavior. And he is trying to steal mailboxes in order to steal the election. Okay, let us go through the facts of what is actually happening here, because you can read plenty of sources even on the left that will tell you there are myths, there are conspiracy theories that are going around that are working people up into a tizzy that uh, that are just not they're just not factual. They're just not true. So let's go through it. Number one, number one fact, mail-in voting is fraught with problems and potential problems. Okay. So this idea that Trump is just trying to undermine mail-in voting because he is afraid that the more people that vote or the more easily that people can vote, the more likely he is to lose. That is simply not based on fact. Mail-in voting, independent of Donald Trump, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, is fraught with potential problems. And if you Google this, if you Google mail-in voting fraud or mail-in voting problems, all the left-wing outlets will tell you, oh, this is just a myth. That's not true at all. There's no evidence whatsoever that there's anything wrong with mail-in voting. There's no potential for fraud. There's no uh, potential for any kind of malfeasance at all. Everything is going to go perfectly well. We have to have mail-in voting due to COVID. That's what the left-wing outlets are going to tell you. But again, that is simply not true. Um, It is not like a lot of people are saying that it's like absentee voting and states already allow absentee voting, but it's not like absentee voting at all. And here is why. For an absentee vote, a voter has to fill out a form to apply for an absentee ballot using their identification and information. And then they receive that ballot, whereas mail-in ballots are just sent to all registered voters. So that makes a really significant difference because a person applying for an absentee absentee ballot will ensure the address is correct and up to date and is creating a paper trail that proves that they requested the ballot, sending ballots to all registered voters, whether um, without an application means that you are probably going to get ballots that are sent to the wrong people, to old addresses. You might uh, unfortunately send ballots to people who have died. Plus, according to Pew Research, there were 29.6 million people who voted by mail in 2016. That includes absentee ballots. If everyone votes by mail in 2020, that is around 156 million people, according to a Democratic group named Catalyst. Scott Hodginson wrote for the Wall Street Journal about his experience of moving from Washington to Texas and continuing to receive Washington ballots even after he changed his residence to Texas. Um, of course, he chose not to vote in the Washington elections that he would have been able to vote in because that, of course, would be fraudulent. He writes this for the Wall Street Journal. Therein lies but one of a cavalcade of problems with vote by mail. There's no way of knowing how many non-residents will receive ballots they're not legally allowed to cast. There is no way to confirm how many eligible voters don't receive ballots, how many dead people receive multiple ballots, how many ballots actually make it through the mail-in time, and how many ballots aren't delivered to the place where they're to be counted. Vote by mail may sound like a good idea, he writes, but it isn't. It can't be. It is subject to too many vagaries, too many errors, too much malevolent temptation. The American Republic has done reasonably well 
well with voting at polling places and a radical revision of the voting process three months ahead of a presidential election would be doomed to inaccuracy and, yes, fraud. In an article in The Atlantic titled The Chaos in New York is a Warning, um, the subtitle is The First Large-Scale Test of Mail-In Voting in the Pandemic Has Left One in Five New Yorkers with Their Votes Tossed Out. This is from July 24th. The article says this. Uh, more than a month after New York's June 23rd primary election, state election officials are still counting votes. In some legislative districts, they haven't even started counting absentee votes. Election officials in New York City have already invalidated upwards of what of 100,000 absentee ballots, about one of every five that were mailed in from the five boroughs. In New York, the election infrastructure was overwhelmed by a massive increase in voters requesting absentee ballots rather than risking voting in person. Ballot printing firms couldn't keep up with the demand and the already rickety U.S. Postal Service didn't move the ballots to and from voters quickly enough. New York is a solidly Democratic state with a Democratic governor and all the officials who matter said they were committed to expanding voting by mail and other options. And it was a disaster. Almost done. All of this um, in this article is important. So I want to make sure that I read it all to you. Imagine what happens when the results matter more. Imagine it's December 5th, a month after the national elections in the fall. Is President Donald Trump ahead or Joe Biden? Who's ahead in close house races, Senate races, local races for mayor or state legislature? Are votes still coming in? Are they being contested? Who's making the decisions? Which courts are getting involved? Recounts, if they're needed, would be in January, February. When is the presidential election going to be called? When will every seat be filled for the next session of Congress. So these are the relevant questions that this article in The Atlantic is asking, especially looking at a place like New York that uh, that ended in a disaster for the people who voted by mail. Here's another example of this not working mail-in voting. In New Jersey, this is reported by CNN on June 25th, quote, a city councilman and a councilman-elect are among the four people charged with voting fraud related to a New Jersey election. Um, the investigation began after, after the U.S. Postal Inspection Service found hundreds of mail-in ballots in a mailbox in Patterson. Numerous additional ballots were found in another mailbox in, here by Hallid- in nearby Halladen, according to a release from the attorney general. The May 12th elections in New Jersey were conducted by mail-in ballots due to the coronavirus pandemic. New Jersey allows a bearer to take ballots from several people and deliver them to the county board of elections. A bearer can only collect and deliver ballots for only three people. And a candidate in the election is never permitted to be a bearer. Democratic Councilman Michael Jackson is one of uh, the people who was charged in this case of fraud. And the article says Jackson allegedly did not identify himself as a bearer on the mail-in ballots that he delivered to the Passaic County Board of Elections. And he allegedly had more than three ballots that were not Hey, so that's another case happening in New Jersey and West Virginia. According to USA Today, a mail carrier pled guilty to election fraud after altering ballot requests to Republican. We could go on and on. There is not just obviously the potential for fraud, as we have already seen proven in particular states. There's also the fact that we are just not prepared. We don't have the infrastructure in place, according to NBC News. 
And the Postal Service says that the mail-in voting rules for 46 states don't match up with the Postal Service's delivery standards of possible timeframes. The article says this, quote, In recent weeks, Postal Service General Counsel Thomas Marshall penned letters warning that states may be overestimating the speed with which ballots will move through the mail. If the post office is not afforded a few extra days of leeway to deliver ballots to the election offices, Marshall warned that late-arriving ballots could leave some voters voters disenfranchised. So no, I obviously don't believe that we should be doing mail-in voting this election, which may be the most consequential election in American history. And I understand we say that about every election and in 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 some way it's true maybe about every election, but I truly believe and I would say even Democrats would say that America is at a, a crossroads. If we tried to force mail-in voting for all 150 million plus voters without the infrastructure, without the systems in place, without the accountability that's needed to maintain the integrity of our elections, it would be mass chaos. Mass chaos. Is that what we need right now? More mass chaos? And knowing all of these things, Democrats know these things. The journalists who are putting out articles saying there's no problem whatsoever with mail-in voting. There's no potential for fraud. There's no potential for chaos, for miscounts, for the need for recounts. There's nothing wrong with it at all. We we have to do mail-in voting to protect people from coronavirus. The people that are pushing so hard for this, the people that know the problems that could potentially come with it, uh, the same people, by the way, the same Democrats, the same liberals who fight tooth and nail against voter ID laws, which simply say that you have to show a valid ID in order to vote to make sure that you are a citizen. They fight hard against those. Uh, And so they uh, are also the ones that are saying we don't need to worry about the integrity of our elections when it comes to mail-in voting. I mean, these are the same people also who have been talking about Russia interfering in our elections in 2016, and they have talked about the importance of making sure that we don't have any interference in our elections, but they're pushing against voter ID laws, and they're pushing against any uh, proper system to make sure that the 2020 election is legitimate and is orderly. The fact that they are pushing so hard for this, knowing knowing that we don't have the logistical know-how, that we don't, again, have the accountability tells me that they want the chaos. They want the chaos that is inevitably going to ensue because they believe that the chaos is going to benefit them. If they can go ahead now and push for a process that will inevitably lead to confusion and recounts and mysteriously found boxes of Democratic ballots, then they will be able to, I think they believe, and this is all, this is conjecture, this is my personal analysis, I I believe that a lot of the Democratic leadership believes that they will be able to win that fight. If they cannot win the fight at the ballot box, I think that they think that they will be able to win the fight afterward if they can put this cloud of confusion around Election Day, um, they will say if we don't do mail in voting, this is a form of voter suppression and disenfranchisement and that the re- uh, election azul- results are therefore um wrong or or therefore illegitimate if Trump wins, um, if Trump wins mail-in or not. Democrats know their base who are right now destroying the streets of Portland and Seattle, which we'll get into in a second. They know that they will lose their minds. And so I think that they are trying to leverage, they're trying to create as much chaos, as much confusion, as much doubt and fear as possible, even before the election happens, to try to preemptively say, 
these results are going to be illegitimate. Leftism, remember, as an ideology. So this is not saying that all people who identify as leftist or all people who are Democrats or all people who identify as liberals, but leftism as an ideology, as a school of thought, if you could even call it that, is fueled by chaos. It is fueled by division via identity politics. It divides people by their race, their gender, their socioeconomic class, etc. It pits them against each other by fostering resentment against those they claim are privileged from those they claim are oppressed. And so the reason a single Democrat uh, has not condemned the outright uh, violent terrorism by Antifa and BLM in some of our major cities. The reason why Congresswoman Ayanna Presley says, says that there uh, must continue to be, quote, unrest in the streets on MSNBC is because the chaos helps them achieve their goals, which long term is a complete remaking of the United States into a socialist, what they would call a utopia, I would say is a dystopia. Now, I don't think, again, that everyone on the left consciously thinks this or consciously wants this. I would say that most people on the left don't think that that is the future the Democrats are painting. They don't see the leftist ideology in this uh, in this way. So I don't think that they consciously have these goals. But the far left has more and more power in the Democratic Party to the point where no member of Congress will denounce its, its extremists that are killing people, that are assaulting people. And again, we'll get into more of that in a second. Because this radical ideology is now driving their side. And as an ideology, leftism stops at nothing to gain power. And chaos helps them achieve that. If they can create anarchy, then they can create the case that the government needs to swoop in and to be our savior and to crack down on dissent. Um Again, we are seeing uh, the creation and the exacerbation of uh, this chaos through these conspiracy theories about Trump and conservatives and Republicans being against mail in voting. So they are gaslighting the rest of the country into saying there are no problems with mail in voting. The only reason you don't want it is because you don't want certain people to vote. The reality is, is that mail in voting has more potential to disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of people than voting in person does. And then there are all these wild conspiracy theories about the USPS that are going around that is being used to fuel further the distrust in the election results and cause the ensuing chaos that we just talked about. Here are the facts about the United States Postal Service. You've probably seen a lot of crazy posts going around. Here are the facts about that. The USPS overall, most of us know this, it's become this crazy partisan issue. But two weeks ago, everyone would have agreed that the USPS overall is not great at its job. That doesn't mean there aren't wonderful people who work at the USPS and wonderful people who do their jobs really well. Of course, of course there are. But the fact is, they have been losing money for 13 years because people don't need the mail service as much. We've got FedEx. We've got UPS. Those two companies have not been losing money. They've also made terrible deals with the postal unions, which, like all public public unions, as I've argued before, should not exist. They have drained the USPS of money. And actually, Obama, in 2014, his administration actually took funding away, some funding away from the USPS. This has been a problem that administrations have been trying to address for a long time. 
And the Democrats in Congress right now uh, want a USPS bailout to the tune of $25 billion taxpayer dollars in the coronavirus relief package. And Trump has said in the past, no. And he blatantly said, you guys have been wanting mail-in voting this whole time for what you know, he believes that uh, he believes that it's for the purpose of voter fraud and he believes that it's for the purpose of stealing the election. Um, and so he says, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to give you what he would call election money. And the Postal Service doesn't deserve a bailout. That's what I believe. They got themselves into the mess that they are currently in. Now, should Trump have said, hey, I don't want to fund this because of the election? No, I don't think that was the most politically savvy thing to say. I understand what he's saying, and it's not nearly as nefarious as the left is saying that it is. Um, but I, I don't think it was, you know, the, the smartest thing for him to say in the midst of all of this. Here's another fact that dispels a lot of the myths that are going around about this. The USPS does not rely on Congress for funding. It is almost entirely self-funded. So Trump saying, hey, we shouldn't bail out the USPS uh, with 25 billion taxpayer dollars is not taking money away from the Postal Service that is rightfully theirs. Also, the USPS does not have to be funded by Congress. That is not uh, that is not required. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 7 of the Constitution gives Congress the power or gives Congress, quote, the power to establish post offices and post roads. So Congress can create and fund the Postal Service, but it does not have to. Democrats are claiming the USPS is going to uh, go under before November, and that is why Trump doesn't want to save it. But that's not true. In its June 2020 fiscal report, the USPS said it has, quote, sufficient liquidity to continue operating through at least August 2021. So even if they don't get bailed out, they wouldn't stop operating before the election. That's just not a possibility. That's not what's happening. But none of that matters to people like Taylor Swift, to Jamie Lee Curtis, Rex Chapman. He's kind of a he he used to be a basketball player, but he's kind of just a Twitter figure. Now, uh, they all have obviously many, many, many millions of followers altogether on Twitter. And they are all claiming that Trump is stealing the election by literally stealing the blue USPS boxes. They've posted pictures and and videos. A, a lot of Twitter users have of these boxes being picked up and hauled away and locks on boboxes and influencers uh uh, liberal uh, liberal figures on Twitter are saying that this is Trump trying to undermine mail-in voting so he will win. They are saying that this is all part of a grand conspiracy to stop mail-in voting. Barack Obama tweeted this. Everyone depends on the USPS, seniors for their Social Security, veterans for their prescriptions, small businesses trying to keep their doors open. They can't be collateral damage for an administration more concerned with suppressing the vote than suppressing the virus. Well, the problem is, Barack Obama, that Social Security stopped sending uh, physical checks, stopped sending paper checks in 2013 when you were president. So this is just a farce. Plus, Trump is not trying to undermine the USPS and these pictures and these videos going around of the USPS um, uh, allegedly taking these boxes and putting them away so people can't vote. They're not real. Uh, in most of these cases, the boxes are being replaced by new ones. And since 1985, hundreds of thousands of boxes have been taken off the streets because, again, the USPS just isn't used in the way that it used to be. It's not used as much as it used to be. And so every year... 
There are hundreds of boxes that are being taken down. We just haven't noticed because it wasn't a partisan issue. And the locks that are on these USPS, those, you know, those blue boxes, there are red locks on them sometimes. They're typically on there on Sundays. So people don't go in and uh, steal the mail and the packages that are in there. That is a huge problem in some areas and places like Burbank, California, for example, where some of these pictures were taken. People are saying this is Trump trying to steal the election in all. August, they're putting locks on USPS boxes uh, to try to steal the election. It's just crazy. It's a conspiracy theory. These locks have been on there for a long time. They are in a lot of places on there every Sunday. But again, people are just now noticing because the Democrats are trying to make this a political issue. They're trying to claim pretty much baselessly, except for Trump made a gaffe, which he shouldn't have made. But They're claiming baselessly that Trump is trying to end the USPS before the election so we can't have mail-in voting. That's not what's happening. That's not even possible. There's not even the potential for that happening. And the changes that are being made to the USPS are being made for cost efficiency reasons. And they've been being made for months, if not years. Because again, the USPS has been losing money for 13 years. Um, But Democrats... That doesn't stop them from peddling this wild conspiracy theory to cause chaos, to cause distrust, to preemptively cast doubt on the election. The past four years have unfortunately been these kinds of conspiracy theories. The Russia conspiracy theory that died a gruesome death with the Mueller report. The kids in cages conspiracy theory that said Trump built these cages to put children in when, in fact, uh, the picture that was going around saying this is Trump's America. Those were pictures from 2014, a.k.a. when Obama was in office. The Obama administration built the facilities that people are saying, oh, this is kids in cages. Yeah, the Obama administration built those cages. They built those facilities uh, on the border. The uh, quid pro quo Ukraine conspiracy theory that led to a partisan impeachment, which no one even talks about anymore. So there have been a lot of conspiracy theories that have been going around in the Democrat world since Trump took office because they still have not been able to accept the results of the 2016 election. And they preemptively are showing that they are unwilling to accept the results of the 2020 election uh, if Trump wins. The only way to get Democrats to admit, say we do have mail-in voting, which, like I said, would be absolutely crazy. Say we do have mail-in voting and Trump wins. That will be the only way that you will get Democrats to admit at this point that mail-in voting has problems. That will just allow them to say, oh, well, actually... Actually, there has been fraud. Actually, there has been miscounts. Actually, this did disenfranchise and leave out more voters than uh, than would have than would have happened if we had had in-person voting. So here's the thing. Here, here's here's what we just have to realize is that in-person voting is safe. If you can go to the grocery store, unless you are a very vulnerable, fragile person, like your health is in jeopardy in an extreme way. So you haven't been outside since March. If you can go to the grocery store, if you can stand in line anywhere else, then you can stand in line to vote. Dr. Fauci himself said there is no reason why someone cannot go in person to vote. So if we want every vote possible to count, Republican and Democrat, then we need to do everything we can to make sure that we can vote in person. If you've got to vote absentee, do that. I think in-person voting 
benefits Democrats just as much as it does Republicans. I don't think it necessarily benefits any one side, but I think that there is a possibility of uh, less chaos, of more integrity and accountability in our elections in ensuring that people on both sides of the aisle, that as many people on both sides of the aisle, get their vote counted as po- as, as possible. I don't think that in-person voting benefits Republicans anymore. I just think that it is the best way, especially just a few months before the election, it is the best way to make sure that our process is... Um, is as transparent and is as smooth as humanly possible. So this shouldn't even be a partisan thing. And the fact that it is a partisan thing, the fact that Democrats are pushing for it, knowing, knowing that this is fraught with potential problems, again, just makes you wonder if they are vying for, if they are vying for the chaos that they know will ensue. So for you, don't be afraid. Make sure that you vote. Unfortunately, I talked to someone who told me about a friend, someone that they know, who is an 18-year-old who is afraid to vote, not because of coronavirus, but because they're scared of uh, that they're not going to be able to get a job if they vote Republican. Like that is, that's the United States of America right now, that people are afraid to vote Republican because they see the bullying that goes on in the mainstream by Democrats, by liberals, by major corporations, by a lot of the major institutions in this country, that if you do not fall in line ideologically and politically, you are excluded uh, from society. You are excluded from being able to get a job. And they want to point to Trump as the autocrat, like they want to point to Trump as the dictator and as the tyrant, as the fascist. Is it not more fascist to say that you have to fall in line with us on every single issue and vote exactly the way we want you to vote or else you are excluded from everything in society that counts? I would say that that is much more totalitarian than anything that Trump has ever done. Okay, let me take a quick break to tell you guys about Hydrant. So top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it is waking up early, setting their goals for the day, praying, reading, all of that good stuff. And not everyone has time to do all of that. Not everyone is a top performer. But one of the things that we can do that other top performers do is make sure that we are hydrated in the morning and hydrant makes sure that we are. I don't know if you knew this, but 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated. We are suffering from frequent headaches, from energy slumps, from poor focus, and it doesn't have to be this way. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure that you are hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is a vegan, so good for the animals. And you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off, that's a lot, 25% off your first order. 
Go to drinkhydrant.com slash Allie, that's A-L-L-I-E, and enter promo code Allie at checkout. So that is drinkhydrant.com slash Allie, and then enter promo code Allie for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash Allie, and enter promo code Allie to stay hydrated. Okay. Now, I want to address this as a Christian. Must you vote? Is it imperative that you vote? Is it a matter of obedience to God that you vote in our elections? I personally don't think so. I probably would have said something different a few years ago, but I've heard a lot of good biblical arguments from people I trust. I don't believe that there is a biblical mandate for you to vote that says that you have to vote or else you are in sin. But here's what I'll say. Here's my personal perspective. I am obviously, I, I never claim to, but I am not um, speaking you know, for the Holy Spirit here. This is my opinion from what I have studied, what I see, and uh, what I believe. So take it as you will. Policies and politicians affect not just me, not just my family, not just the people I know, and not just the future generations of my family, all of whom I care about very much, but policies and the politicians that we put in place affect the most vulnerable among us, the poor, the outcast, the downtrodden. So when I vote for a politician who promises to protect my First Amendment rights to freedom of religion and freedom of speech— That protection doesn't just protect me and my family. It extends, most importantly, to the person uh, with the least popular opinions and the most marginalized religious beliefs. When I vote for a politician who believes in the sanctity of unborn life, it doesn't protect me as much as it protects the unborn, vulnerable, defenseless babies in the womb in this country. When I vote for a politician who believes in cutting taxes, that benefits the working class family who is trying to make ends meet, who has finally been able to make something of themselves. When I vote for a politician who believes in strong border policy, that benefits the children who are otherwise victims of the traffickers and the drug cartels that exploit lax border policy. It benefits the immigrants who have sacrificed everything to become citizens legally. When I vote for a politician who stands for law and order and impartial justice, I am voting for the protection of the poor, that helpless men and women who are suffering at the hands of violent criminals in the cities where derelict leaders have neutered the police. When I vote for a politician who supports school choice, I am voting for opportunities for kids whose parents cannot afford to send them to private school or to homeschool them. So who we vote for matters because the policies affect flesh and blood human beings. They affect their lives. They affect their livelihoods. And I will always vote for the platform that best protects faith, that best protects freedom, and best protects and promotes the family. Because these are inarguably the bedrock of a strong society for every demographic, especially, especially for the most vulnerable. And when I see that far leftism, self-described anarcho-communists have the Democratic Party by the horns, and I look throughout history at Mao's China, at China Today, at Pol Pot's Cambodia, at the USSR, at Eastern Germany, at Venezuela, Cuba, at Zimbabwe, and I see the effects of Marxism, of collectivism, of communism, of socialism. I see the effects that these things have had on the least of these while the elites have remained elite, while the most rich have remained rich. And I cannot, I cannot let that happen to the vulnerable in this country if I can help it. 
I have to try my best doing what I can as just, you know, one individual finite person to prevent America from experiencing the very poison that we fought so hard against in the 20th century. Uh, Men and women have fought and died for the right and the privilege uh, to vote. We have a say in who represents us. That is something that millions and millions in the world have never known and will never know. Uh, So I believe that we should exercise that right while we still have the freedom to do so. I don't know if we always will in America, but right now we do. We shouldn't take it for granted. We should thank God that we live in a country where that is still possible, even understanding as we will go into at the end of this episode uh, that no vote changes God's sovereign will and no politician is our savior. We know that right now we are seeing Uh, The leftist ideology taken to its logical conclusion in places like Portland, places like Seattle, San Francisco, L.A., New York City and Austin. And we still have the opportunity to write our course. I believe that Uh, in Portland and Seattle, you are still seeing incredible violence, devastating violence. And I think it's so important for us to not look away because this is happening. This is not happening in the Middle East. This is not just happening in China. This is happening in America's major cities, some of the most beautiful cities in the country. This violence is happening. So I'm going to play you a few clips from what is happening right now in Portland, Oregon. What do you mean you're not trying to hurt nobody? So for those of you who aren't watching, who are just listening, uh, this is a man who is driving uh, in his car with a woman in Portland who is trying apparently to get around these Black Lives Matter and Antifa anarchists. Uh, They get in his way. It forces him to crash into a building. The woman gets out. A BLM activist beat her to the ground. Uh, The guy gets out. He's not fighting. He's not in their face or anything. They beat him, push him to the ground. Then while he's just sitting there on the road, not doing anything with his head down, uh, a BLM activist wearing a security vest. These are people that BLM and Antifa have designated as their private security. These are the people that they would like uh, to replace the police. Uh, He comes up and he drop kicks him in the head, knocks this guy who is sitting there completely defenseless, not doing anything, knocks this guy out cold. And then someone else comes up and kicks him in the head. Last we heard, this guy is unconscious in the hospital and this man, the security person apparently for BLM, uh, has not been arrested yet. Apparently, Portland PD is working on it, but Portland PD, because of the policies that are in place, have been arresting a lot of these people and releasing them. But of course, this guy should be arrested for attempted murder. I mean, this is absolutely terrifying. If you do not follow Andy No, his last name is spelled N-G-O on Twitter, I encourage you to do so. You can't spend forever on his timeline because it really is just depressing, but it's so important for you to see that this is the logical conclusion to leftism that is being played out right before our eyes. Like what a gracious gift and a privilege that we get to see that for ourselves right now. And not a single Democratic member of Congress will criticize Antifa or BLM for the violence and the anarchy that they are causing. In fact, like I said earlier, Congresswoman Ayanna Pressley uh, said that we should expect unrest in the streets. So as people are dying, 
as people are being assaulted, as their businesses, as their lives, their livelihoods are being ruined. And no, it's not just property. These are people's lives that we are talking about. As people's lives are being ruined, some people's lives are being taken, as people are being assaulted violently in these cities because of these rioters, because of these anarchists, you've got Democratic Congress people, number one, unwilling to call out these groups for terrorizing America's cities, but they're actually actively encouraging it by saying, oh yeah, well, there needs to be unrest in the streets. It's been three months of this. BLM and Antifa haven't stopped looting. They haven't stopped robbing. They haven't stopped rioting. They haven't stopped killing. And some of you believed that it was for justice for George Floyd. For a lot of these violent activists, it never was. Now, again, we distinguish between the peaceful protesters. We distinguish between the people who have genuinely been trying to have sincere conversations about impartial justice in this country, who have sincerely been pushing for good change in this country. We distinguish between them and these violent anarchists. I do believe there is a distinction. Now, they would probably say, though, that they're cause is the same, that their aim is the same. And that should cause the people, the peaceful people to take a step back and to re-examine what is your definition of justice and what are the real problems in this society and what are the real solutions? What are the real tactics? Uh, I I want to play you um, a couple more clips of these BLM Antifa activists and and the demands that they are making. Your mother's umbilical cord should have wrapped around your neck and choked you just the way you choked George Floyd, you filthy animal. Not only should that umbilical cord should have wrapped around your neck, it should not have wrapped around your neck once. It should have wrapped around your neck two, three, two times, not six times or seven times. Don't run now! Don't run now, racist white people! I'm here! Oh yeah, we pull up! So this is a theme. These are not just one-offs. These activists uh, at the so-called demonstrations have called for the abolition of the police, for the abolition of the United States, the abolition of prisons. And it's easy to see why, because a lot of them are criminals. And so they want to be able to commit crimes with impunity. This is the leftist ideology. This is the result of Marxism. And Marxism isn't just a a boogeyman. There are unfortunately a lot of people right now, a lot of Christian leaders like Beth Moore has done this. And I've heard uh, some other pastors do this. They preempt the criticism of of Marxism by just saying, oh, some people are going to call us Marxist. And they dismiss it without actually addressing it, pretending like when we say Marxism, we don't actually mean anything by it. We don't know what we're talking about. The reality is the people that are dismissing that criticism, they often don't know what Marxism is. They don't take our concern seriously because they don't want to look into what Marxism is and Uh, figure out whether or not the ideology that they're pushing actually is Marxism, which always leads to chaos, which always leads to violence. It always has throughout history. I listed the regimes that have implemented forms of Marxism into their government and into their society. It always leads to unrest. It always leads to more inequality. It always leads to more uh, oppression. It always uh, leads to more injustice and unfairness and starvation and suffering. That is simply what the ideology does. It divides. 
And so, by the way, the DNC, their theme is unifying America. Well, there's no way for the ideology that is currently coming from the uh, fringes of the Democratic Party and becoming more and more mainstream. There is no way for that ideology to unite because that is not in its nature. That's not what it does. What it does is create Portland's and Seattle's. And you also see this ideology taking root in places like New York City and places like Chicago and places like Austin and San Francisco and L.A. where people are leaving in droves because this ideology that says everyone is split up between the oppressed and the oppressor. Therefore, there is no moral agency for people that we say are part of groups that are oppressed. Therefore, we don't need police. We don't need law and order. People need to be free to do what they want to do. And we just need to make sure that they are comfortable and provided for. That is kind of the view, the messed up worldview that is driving a lot of these poor decisions like neutering the police that are resulting in an uptick in crime. Once again, as I've said, Neutering the police, defunding the police as they've done in places like Minneapolis and New York City, taking away and L.A. and Austin, taking away a large portion of funding and uh, demonizing the police so that not only are a lot of police fired because of the defunding or the shifting um, a certain fraction of funding away, but also uh, there are police officers quitting because they don't want to deal with this anymore. They can't do their jobs anymore. This results in disproportionate effects, negative effects on the most vulnerable, on the poor women and children, on the elderly, on the disabled that cannot leave these poor communities that are now riddled with homelessness because it's incentivized by liberal policies who cannot leave the cities that are now riddled with crime, which is incentivized by liberal policies. And so they're stuck there. They're stuck there in the danger. They're stuck there in the misery. This is the logical conclusion to leftism. This is a worldview played out that we are getting to see firsthand in America's major cities. And it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to vote Democrat anymore. I know you watch the DNC or you listen to Michelle Obama and they give compelling speeches. Every celebrity that you know is voting for these people and talking about social justice and talking about the importance of voting for Democrats and getting Trump uh, out of office. And I understand the GOP certainly isn't perfect. Trump is very far from perfect. And so I, I get it. I get the distaste that you have for Republicans. But consider the fact, <laughs> consider the fact that everywhere where the leftist ideology that is being pushed in your face, everywhere that it takes hold, lives get worse they get worse. The only cities that are run by Democrats that are actually not in disarray right now um, are the ones in which the leaders have decided to make more conservative decisions. So you look at a place like uh, Dallas or you look at a place like Detroit, where the mayors, the leaders of those cities have decided that they are going to side with the police and the police chiefs in those two places. For example, there are other cities like this have said, you know what, we're not going to deal with the unrest. We're not going to deal with the looting and the rioting. We're not going to deal with the crime. We are going to continue to do our jobs. We're going to continue to crack down on criminals and we are not going to allow our city to devolve into disarray. And so it is very it's possible for Democrats to lead well, but they have to make decisions that conservatives are typically the ones that are in favor. In. 
if they go with the leftist ideology that says, oh, police, they're just a form of oppression and we shouldn't enforce the law because, you know, there's no moral agency for people that we say are part of groups that are oppressed. Then you see lawlessness, then you see chaos, and then you see despair, and then you see disarray disproportionately for the people who are most vulnerable. And remember, everything that leftists do is in the name of social justice, which sounds really good. But uh, what we see proven is what Thomas Sowell wrote about in his book, Quest for Cosmic Justice, which I highly recommend. And this is what he says, quote, in its pursuit of justice for a segment of society in disregard for the, of the consequences for society as a whole, what is called social justice might more accurately be called anti-social justice, since what gets dismissed are precisely the costs to society. We talk about this in my book, You're Not Enough, and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. If you haven't read the book, that might surprise you, but I actually believe that the removal of uh, faith and belief in the God of Scripture places the God of self at the center. And when we place the God of self at the center, then we decide that we are the arbiters of truth. When we decide that we are the arbiters of truth, things like justice and morality, they become subjective and anarchy and chaos ensue. And that is an argument that I make in my book, that it's all connected. Uh, leftism does not build. It is effective activism. It is effective at getting people riled up. It is not governance because in the name of fighting oppression, it tears down the very structures and incentives and institutions that society needs to function peacefully, like family, like the church, like law enforcement. So you have a choice in November between the ideology of social justice that sounds really good, but always, always when taken to its most extreme, which is what we're seeing playing out right now, it always ends in more oppression, more violence, more injustice, and more inequality, or law and order, building our economy back up, school choice, continuing to defund Planned Parenthood, all the things that the Trump administration has been promoting. Planned Parenthood, by the way, as we talked about on Monday, the world's largest abortion mill and aider and a better to rapists, scumbag boyfriends, and sex traffickers. That is the institution, the organization that is propped up by the Democratic Party. Trump and Republicans, like I've said, they're far from perfect. In fact, I tend to think that most Republicans right now are very weak. They're very spineless. Um, and if you can't bring yourself to, to vote for either of them, I do get it. I understand that might be unpopular to say among other conservative commentators, but I do. I'm not here. Uh, if that's you, if you're like, I can't vote for either party, I am not here doubting certainly your salvation or your sincerity. That is certainly not my place. Um, and your righteousness obviously is not judged by that. It's not judged by agreeing with me. I am not the arbiter of these things. Um, I pray that God gives all of us voters wisdom um, that I pray every day that he would give our leaders wisdom. I pray for our Democratic leaders. I pray for our Republican leaders. I don't want Democrats to fail. I, in fact, want to be wrong on my analysis that I am telling you. I do. I desperately want to be wrong. Like some people want what's going on in Portland and Seattle to play out. A lot of conservatives do. So we can continue to get a look at the leftist ideology. They almost want the Democrats to be radicalism, to make the choice more obvious. I don't want that. Like, I, I wish it were a more difficult choice. Like, I wish that Democrats actually represented values that some values that I think are good for the country. 
I just don't see that at all. I, I don't want them to be extreme. I don't say, hey, you've got communists in the Democratic Party and mainstream Democrats are refusing to condemn them. I don't say that flippantly. I don't want that to be true. I want there to be uh, I, I want there to be more commonality. Like, I don't have a desire to demonize Democrats. I don't have a desire to be partisan. I really wish that I could stand in the middle and say there is moral equivalence here. But they're simply not. And again, that's not saying Republicans like the the uh, the political party, like they are necessarily the beacon of morality. But I'm talking about the two worldviews, the leftist secular worldview or the conservative uh, worldview. There's simply there's simply not enough overlap there for me to be able to stand in the middle and to say, yeah, I can take good things from both sides. I just know too much about where leftism leads. And I know that it sounds good even to a lot of Christians, but I know what's underneath it. I know what's pushing it and I know where it takes us and I just cannot get on board with any of it. And I wish I were exaggerating. I really, really do. Like, I wish that I could say, oh, this is just, you know, me fear mongering because I really desire that you become a Republican. I really don't care whether you become a Republican. I really don't. That's not the point of this podcast. The point of this podcast is trying to show you worldviews as best as I can. And I fail because I'm a flawed, finite person. And there are blind spots that I have because I'm a flawed, finite person. But my desire is to do my best as wisely, as precisely, as and as biblically as I possibly can compare the two worldviews, because that's what we're voting for in November. It's a, a worldview. It's a set of policies, not a person. It's actually very short-sighted to just look at the person. And as I said on Monday, as I said on Monday, both sides are pushing aside the flaws that each candidate has in order to vote for a platform. So the left is constantly saying that we're ignoring Trump's flaws in order to vote for him. Well, the left is doing the same thing with Joe Biden. Like you remember that he was accused of sexual assault by one of his staffers when he was a senator. He's been accused by several women of sexual harassment. He has been accused and, and, and found to have said many racist things. And so you're pushing those to the side. You're voting for a platform. I understand we're doing the same thing on the right. So we just both need to understand that both sides are doing that, that we are voting for a worldview. And you have to decide, you have to critically think which worldview lines up best, not just with biblical Christianity, but also with what is best for society as a whole. And those two things uh, overlap. Those two things go together. Now, just an end note here, and I, I know I say this a lot and very often I end with this, but that's because I think it is so important. We understand as Christians that no politician can save us. No party is our hope. No party is our savior. The GOP has corrupt and spineless, terrible people in its ranks, and Democrats do too. Thankfully, we follow a perfect ruler, a righteous king, a just judge named Jesus who will one day rule in perfect peace. There will be no partisanship. There will be no affiliation except to Jesus Christ. There will be people in heaven that we disagreed with here on earth, and we will not care because we will be too busy basking in the joy of worshiping Jesus face to face. Uh, as Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not Americans first. Uh, or conservatives first, or Republicans, or Calvinists, or anything before we are Christians. Our citizenship, our identity, our nationality 
if you will, is in heaven. That is where we belong. That is where we are headed. That's where our hope is. That's where our glory is. That is where our victory is. Psalm 37, one through two says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. We trust that. Again, I've said a million times, read Psalm 37 uh, for comfort for your soul in God's promises. We trust in the promises of Psalm 37. We know them. We remain confident in them. So that means we remain joyful and we remain steady even when chaos wages all around us. Now, what can we do as we hope, as we are patient, as we are steadfast? We can be obedient in the roles that are right before us. So that means we can be good employees. We can be hard workers. We can be good spouses. We can be good moms. We can be good community members and uh, church members. Uh, We can continue to educate ourselves, be dogged in our pursuit of truth and true biblical justice that is based not just on scripture, but also on fact, not narrative. That means we never accept a headline, whether it's from a conservative outlet or a liberal outlet. We never even accept a statistic without looking more deeply into the story and thinking critically about that. I look at several stories before coming to a conclusion or even understanding what happened. I personally uh, believe that in addition to our pursuit of truth, that is biblical truth, that is also factual truth. I personally believe that voting um, is a part of our uh, responsibility. It's a part of caring for those around us as well. They're uh, brilliant and good faith people who would disagree with that. And I do respect that. Um, but from what I uh, can see and from what I know, I believe it is a responsibility and a privilege and a right that we should exercise. Um, let's pray about all of this. Let's seek God and his wisdom. Let's admit when we are wrong Um, Let's ask God to help us see our hypocrisy, to see our blind spots. And let's let's ask God to rid us of unnecessary partisanship. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't lean conservative or lean a particular way, but that we are seeing things clearly and biblically and that we humbly accept when we don't see something or when we are ignoring something or paying attention to something just because it advances a particular narrative rather than because it's something that God actually cares about. That is something that I have to examine very consistently, and I know that I fail, but by his grace, I hope to constantly get better at that, and that is something I think we should all pray toward. Okay, Uh, that's all I have today. I actually have a lot more to say, but I don't have... I don't have the time. Well, let me just say one thing. Let me just say one thing really fast. So there are a lot of Christian teachers who would agree, you know, with everything that I said at the end, who would take issue with other things that I said. And these are the same Christian teachers who say that they're always going to speak up when they see the marginalized treated unjustly, that are always going to speak up for the voiceless, that are always going to speak up for the least of these. But what they really mean is a particular is a particular segment of society that it is trendy to defend, that it happens to be mainstream right now to defend. There are lots of instances of injustice, of people of different skin colors, of people of different socioeconomic classes, of people of of different identities um, that are being treated unjustly, that these same church leaders will not speak up about because they will get backlash from the very same social justice activists that have been booing them with 
with praise for the past several months. And so I would also encourage them in the same way that I am encouraging myself and that I am praying that God would reveal my blind spots and where I am unnecessarily partisan and where I am wrong. I would encourage other church leaders to do the same thing. Let us care about injustice everywhere where it really exists. That doesn't mean that we have to care about all things at all times. That doesn't mean that we can do everything all at once. We're not omniscient. We're not omnipotent, but we have to make sure all of us, especially Christian leaders and pastors and influencers, that you are, that your pursuit of justice and your calling out of injustice is not partisan and that you are not just picking the stories that you know is going to get you praise by social justice activists. Um, If you continually find yourself on the side of the atheists and the agnostics and the activists that don't believe in God, if you consistently find yourself caring only about the stories that the people you know who don't know God care about, then you should question whether or not the things that you are choosing to speak up about happen to be biased. And also, again, we all need to make sure that the stories that we're speaking up about, that the, um, that the instances of injustice or perceived injustice, the trends that we talk about, the history that we point to, uh, that they're actually based in fact, that they are statistically true. That is uh, a responsibility of church leaders and all of this. So anyway, in the same way that I encourage myself and pray for myself to see my own blind spots, I really hope that other Christians on the other side of the aisle, on the other side of these issues, that they examine themselves too, that they allow themselves to actually look into Marxism, to look into critical theory and to make sure that they're not falling into that trap in the same way that I don't want to fall into the trap of idolizing a political party or idolizing a certain worldview of America that doesn't align with the Bible. So we just have to make sure that we are relentless in uh, being biblical in our perspectives. And I appreciate to myself the most in that. Okay. That truly is all that I have. And I will be back here on Friday with a wonderful conversation that I know will lift your spirits. If you have not ordered my book, You're Not Enough and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, make sure you go to alibethstuckey.com slash book. You can see all the places where you can purchase it online. It's available on Amazon. Um, and if you have read it, I would love for you to leave me a five-star review on Amazon. That would, leave me, uh, that would mean so much to me. And if you love this podcast, please leave a five-star review you as well. I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. See you on Friday.